Hello and welcome to The Politics of Peterborough, the podcast where we chat with the people who have been elected to make decisions about our city and those who try to influence them. I'm your host, Dave Adcock. As always, if you have any suggestions as to who you'd like to listen to on future episodes of the podcast or have any questions you'd like me to put to our guests, you can get in touch via Twitter or Facebook at politicspboro or send an email to politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. On with the show. My guest for this episode has worked as a peer researcher for Young Foundation in communications with Citizens UK, has helped co-produce local theatre and art for the Jumped Up Theatre Group, and in February 2022, she was elected as Peterborough's representative of the British Youth Parliament for a two-year term. All of this while she was still at school undertaking her A-levels. Eva Woods, welcome to the politics of Peterborough. Hello, thank you for having me. First of all, congratulations on completing your exams. Is it a feeling of relief that it's all over, or regret that your time at school is coming to an end um i will definitely miss school neem park academy where i've been is just amazing and it definitely feels like home um yeah always feels a bit funny after exams because you know it's not the best representation of you but i'm looking forward to the new chapter and being able to do this full time i've been a full-time youth mp for a month now and i'm absolutely loving it Uh, now were you born in peterborough yeah, absolutely. I have gradually moved up Handel Road throughout my life. So um, definitely sort of Autumn Woodston area, born and bred. Whereabouts does your political drive come from? Do you have political parents? <laughs> I think I would never have described myself as political with a capital P. It's sort of developed over time because I've always been quite moral. And um, yeah, I've come from a moral family and um, been around friends who are very vocal and um, brilliant experience in school being encouraged to um, speak out about things that are important to us but um, I've got a background in youth theatre I was always a musical theatre kid until um, lockdown made that a bit more difficult um, but I think I'd always been confident talking about things that were important to me and I'd always had strong views on things and it was through getting involved in different organisations of the community so like you said um, Jumped Up Theatre Peterborough Citizens Peterborough Youth Council and other groups like that um, were the ones that showed me that these individual issues that I care deeply about actually need a platform and an outlet in politics and that was the conversion for me really um I went from being a girl with opinions that she wasn't afraid to share to being somebody who sees the political sphere as where I spend my time was, was politics something that was discussed around the dinner table or not yeah it was I think um I wouldn't say that I come from one of those families where it's um we're a super activisty family and um that's our um is a big part of who we are and the interactions we have but definitely conversations about life and society were common and I grew up feeling like it, it was okay to have stances on things it was um always I was brought up knowing that it was important to stand up for what you believe in and you've gone through your GCSEs and A-levels as the world's been trying to negotiate its way through the pandemic. What was that experience like for you? <laughs> well, um, I ended up making a podcast about it. It was that interesting. Education throughout the pandemic definitely pushed me to speak out about politics in terms of what goes on in Westminster more than I would have previously, because there were general feelings of being very let down throughout that period. And obviously that's across the whole of society. There were so many 
mistakes made because we were in we were in a different context but I think in education that's one of the things that kicked me into um wanting youth co-production and young people being involved in the decisions that are made about us because there are so many um in issues in terms of the way we were graded so I was part of the cohort that um, had teacher assessed grades which were not the same as centre assessed grades the year before that's an important distinction Um, in 2020 it was all predicted by the algorithm obviously which led to there is no skirting around it it was inaccurate it was cruel um, and it let down so many people especially in Peterborough who um, (laughs) the postcode lottery the algorithm was never going to work for them and then the year after when I did my exams it was teacher assessed so any feelings of imposter syndrome that people in that year group had were absolutely elevated because I walked out of getting my GCSE results thinking yeah but I would never have got that if it was real exams would I which has made me feel strangely about the exams I've just sat that's the first time I've ever sat in an exam hall doing my A-levels over the past couple of months so it was massively disruptive and I think it did pressure me and a lot of other young people who have a strong sense of what's right and what's wrong to um, see decisions made in Westminster as the right place to voice that because in terms of the importance of exams in our life trajectories those couple of weeks um for two periods throughout your teenage life have massive implications for the rest of your future I don't think that's right lots of other people don't but there isn't really a conversation about whether that's the right option exams are so embedded I would love to see that discussed more in the future and COVID did have a big impact on that I was going to say do you think there are any benefits or positives that can be taken from that period that should be implemented in education generally going forwards? I think it did show that assessment over a long period of time is an interesting approach to take and potentially a positive one because the way I was assessed, um, we had quote-unquote continuous assessments um, over a much longer period of time where we'd sit one-hour exams two or three a day for about six to 12 weeks, which was massively stressful and it meant the exam period wasn't quite as enclosed as it normally is and it's not just like this one hellish period that you just got to get through. It was a lot more extended. But um, in terms of being able to properly wrap your head around everything you're being asked to comment on, which is what we're hopefully going to have to do an adult life right we wouldn't want to be barreling through a load of completely unrelated questions and feeling like we we couldn't engage with it properly especially from a political perspective that leads to nothing um so the longer term assessment was something to learn from but also on the flip side um teacher assessed grades without accusing anybody at all of not representing their students properly we do see different statistics come out when teachers are in charge of assessing grades and centres assess grades Um, I'm a sociology student so I could talk for hours about um, the different impacts we see um, from external assessments and internal assessments so I think what we stand to learn from it is that we need to be a lot more open-minded in terms of how assessments can take place because there are more options than we currently explore and we need to be brutally honest with ourselves about students who aren't being represented properly in the systems we have because there was outcry about um, 
disadvantage, especially in the period of the algorithm. And we shouldn't be trying to resist that or brush it under the rug. I think in 2020, that there wasn't anything really to say. There was no excusing the fact that students from areas like Peterborough were massively disadvantaged by the algorithm. And people owned up to the fact it eventually owned up to the fact that that was a massive misrepresentation of lots of students and we ended up with the triple lock system which in itself wasn't great either but we did see an admission of a mistake and I'd like to see that more in terms of examinations admissions that there are real reasons why students from disadvantaged backgrounds aren't doing as well and we need to change the way the education system is structured. Do you think there might be a place for virtual learning in general education at all or is being in a school for the day still the best way of doing things oh it's such an interesting question um i think virtual learning makes things much more accessible for some people um but then we need to be talking about digital digital exclusion digital poverty um the amount of young people in my close circle of friends who weren't able to participate in school because of um, lack of technology at home or lack of access to the internet so um there is infrastructure that needs to come into place if we do move to more virtual and digital options but it will have a massive impact on making things more accessible to some people who can't be coming into school every day either because of caring responsibilities or their own situation so there are potential positives to it if the if the infrastructure is properly put in place And in terms of a school, the best thing about school is when you get students in every day, which is a massive feat, which so many people have their entire career dedicated to, just trying to get students in school and present. Um, When you have students there, you hear what they're struggling with. You're able to support them. You're able to spot things. Um, We might go into this later, but a lot of my work is centered around eating disorders And I wouldn't have got the support I needed if I wasn't going into school every day and being around people who were spotting that I wasn't myself because my parents are busy working. I can easily skirt around them at home. um, So they wouldn't have known something was wrong. But I'm forced to sit in front of my teachers and my friends every day. They noticed I wasn't myself. I got the support I needed. That's just one example of how much of an impact going into school and being with people who you see on a daily basis and care about you and in some cases have a duty of care has in terms of child safeguarding and feeling like you belong um mental health and spotting other potential safeguarding issues um so going into school is really important and i would not want to see that disappear entirely or at all Now, you were a member of the Peterborough Youth Council prior to being elected as a member of the Youth Parliament. Uh, What is the City's Youth Council and what is its purpose? So the City's Youth Council draws members from um, all of the secondary schools and equivalents in the city. And it also has spaces for those who aren't in full-time education. Its job is similar to mine in that it represents those who are old enough to have an opinion but not old enough to vote. Um, but the Youth Council, a lot of its work is consultations. So people, decision makers will come in and speak to the Youth Council, ask for their thoughts on things. And the Youth Council also runs its own campaigns. So they've been working um For example, there's an environment-focused team who are um, supporting council work around cycleways. There's a mental health team who have fundraised for local charities. There's um, an LGBTQ team who have set up a local podcast for LGBT youth. 
they run their own campaigns and they make sure that there is work going on around issues that are important to young people. But the Youth Council also, it's a network and it's an opportunity to come across um, other trainings and other organisations to link in with. I wouldn't be where I was without Peterborough Youth Council, not only because it's linked to UK Youth Parliament, but because things like... um, the peer research network with the Young Foundation that I was part of um, and various other opportunities, working, uh, writing for local newspapers, things like that, they were all offered to me through Youth Council and the Youth Council is doing more work through things like the Youth Voice Champions newsletter, which has recently begun to make sure those opportunities are going out to all young people who are interested in Youth Voice, not just Youth Council members. I think our task at the moment is to figure out we have so much going on in Peterborough for those who are invested in Youth Voice and who have sort of broken into this bubble of Youth Voice opportunities. But it's how do we reach those who, A, don't have the interest or the capacity to be fully part of this bubble. So people who we shouldn't marginalise purely because they don't, they're not interested. People don't have to make politics their raison d'etre to be worth listening to and we need to apply that to young people as well um and in terms of reaching those who just haven't broken into that sphere yet because the amount of times you'll tell somebody or I'll tell somebody about a project I've been part of and they had no idea it was going on even though they're very youth voice socially active you were then elected to be Peterborough's youth MP in February 2022 Uh, Ben on Facebook asked simply what does a youth MP do So part of my job in the role has been to push the boundaries of that and extend the definitions of what a youth MP can do. Because the position of youth MP in Peterborough, I couldn't tell you the exact year it started, but we've had a youth MP in Peterborough for at least a decade. And being a youth MP has meant different things throughout that time. We get a lot of um, autonomy to decide how we want to dedicate our time. But in a nutshell, I meet with decision makers and I meet with young people often through existing networks young people have so whether those be youth groups um, faith groups um, sports clubs anything that means young people come together for whatever reason and I act as a conduit between um, those people who are making the decisions for young people and want to know um, what the best option for us is and um, speaking to those young people on the ground and finding out actually what is best from them in their own words and then I also um, have a role in publicising events so that your, those young people can speak to those decision makers directly when we have a platform for that and then alongside all that public facing stuff I run my own projects um, some of those come off the back of my original manifesto so when I ran for election in 2022 the issues that I promised to focus on if I was elected were sexual harassment in schools um, eating disorders in the curriculum and um the original policy was um, promoting the campaign for the removal of university fees, but that being very blue sky thinking, that's now evolved into um, raising the profile of post-18 opportunities in the city. And then in 2023, there's been other projects that have come up, um, especially now I'm doing this role full-time in terms of the promotion of young workers' rights and trying to support employers to create jobs for 16 to 18-year-olds and those in full-time education that don't impair their education. 
um, access to work experience opportunities and supporting employers to provide them, promoting the campaign for universal free school meals, which is something UK Youth Parliament is doing nationally, um, work around violence against women and girls in the city as well, and um, sort of as a general umbrella campaign, I'm calling it Youth News, which is the answer to that question I brought up a few minutes ago about how do we get news about opportunities out to young people. Um, So I'm trying to develop a network where we can actually make sure that's reaching as many people as possible. So to summarise, I have my own projects that I run and manage and decide how to meet need, but um, I have to stay on top of what young people are asking for and what decision makers want to know from us. What was it that made you decide you to put your hat into the ring to, to go ahead to run for the position? So I'm not going to say that since I was five years old, I've gone, I really want to be a youth MP when I'm older because I didn't know the position existed. And that's part of my job now to try and help more young people know who their youth MP is, how they can contact me and what it's in my remit to do for them. But it was because of a teacher a teacher forwarded the opportunity to me and said um I think you should apply for this and after a bit of thought I did and it was one of the those things where um as soon as I started refining my manifesto it just solidified how much I wanted to do this and um there's always been a bit of imposter syndrome me thinking there's so many amazing and talented young people in the city who I'm under no illusion could do this and could do this brilliantly but I'm trying to make the most of this opportunity that I've been given and represent us the best I can. Now, it's rude to ask a lady her age, so I hope you'll forgive me, but uh, were you able to vote in May's council elections? No, I wasn't, but I was part of um, working with comms and the council to try and get more young people to register to vote. Um, so my I've just turned 18 this June, so I will be in the coming elections, but... Um, No, I was trying to encourage other young people who were in my school cohort and a bit older than me to use their vote. Now, among 18 to uh, 24-year-olds, turnout the last three general elections has been around 50%, whilst in older age groups it can be as high as 80%. Extrapolating that to the local elections means Peterborough could be seeing fewer than one in five under 24-year-olds voting. Why do you think that is? So... I think part of it is about the mystification of the voting process. Young people don't know um, what they need to do to register to vote for a start. The amount of young people who um, got in contact with me the night before um, May the 4th then said, where do I vote tomorrow? And I said, are you registered? And they said, no. And I was like, I can't really help you. (laughs) um, So what young people need to do to prepare to vote how to register um how to find out how they should be voting to best represent themselves so obviously i'm not politically affiliated at all i want um in the same way as most people i would i don't i just want young people to turn out and vote that's the base of it um how they vote is not my concern or my um i should say it's not my um responsibility to care about but um, I try and talk them through what their perspectives might be and then match that up to manifestos. Um, But that leads to another issue. Um, In general elections, there is more targeted at young people, but in local elections, it's really hard from a young person's perspective to um, find out who your local councillors are. Um, Yes, you can find out about their parties and the general of it, but there's so much 
good in who some of our councillors are and what they mean for our community and how invested in Peterborough they are, that doesn't come through to young people who haven't been following this story for a while or are new to local politics. So I think it would be great if in local election campaigns um, there was more targeted to young people um, from a, a campaign perspective um, so that they're not just voting on um, colours and they actually do know who their local councillors are or who their candidates are. And I think young people don't, uh, and same as many people, it's not just young people, don't understand the distinction between um, what is a national decision and what is a local decision, what um, is the remit of local government um so when um i think that more needs to be done to help young people understand why voting in the local election is important and what everyday issues how they vote can impact and just generally trying to um make local politics more visible in young people's lives I think a big part of it is that young people don't see their future as being in Peterborough. I brought that up in conversations around the time of the local election. Young people think, why should local politics matter to me because I'm going off to uni here or um, my apprenticeship is there or I don't want to live in Peterborough, I hate it here, which saddens me to hear, but it's quite a common thought. So I think we need to, on a more universal level, help young people see their future here. And if their future isn't here, at least have some kind of investment in the city and some kind of attachment to it. Because Peterborough is developing its identity, it has its identity, and I would want more young people to be connected to that. Should there be some kind of political studies as a mandatory subject in schools? I think that would be helpful in terms of supporting young people to make sense of um, their part in democracy and um, obviously it's a really difficult thing for schools and curriculum creators to navigate how do they keep that non-partisan and um, maintain the autonomy of those young people but I don't think it's as difficult as they would imagine it would be it is quite I think it's often used as an excuse to shy away from answering those questions or oh, it's too difficult to um teach a mandatory um, citizenship style political curriculum because it gets political too quickly and we don't have time to answer all the questions that young people might have I think we need to keep shy we need to stop shying away from developing this because of those issues we do have the capacity to answer them I think it would be helpful I think there are lots of things which are mandatory to study in schools which don't apply to everybody's adult life whereas politics certainly does do you agree with plans by Labour to lower the voting age to 16? So UK Youth Parliament does support the votes for 16, um, votes at 16 campaign. I do personally as well. But um, if anybody's interested, we work with the body shop on a national level to promote the votes at 16 campaign. Obviously, that has to go hand in hand with better education. But there is nothing that we are taught in sixth form that will better um, prepare us to vote that we haven't already heard by the age of 16. Um, obviously, maturity is an issue, but maturity is so subjective and it depends on your life path. There are some people who um, won't see massive changes in their life trajectory and position between the ages of 16 and 20 especially if they go straight into employment so yes I'm supportive of the idea of votes at 16 there's work we need to do to prepare for it but I don't think it would be that drastic a change in terms of the way 16 year olds and 18 year olds are thinking about politics. Would that help to drive up turnout do you think? I think it would because um, 
when you're in a school environment and you're interacting with lots of other young people on a daily basis it um or obviously not all young people are in a school environment but most will be in full-time education when you're spending your time around other young people um it becomes a daily conversation and it would help politics become more of a um daily topic which is at the center of young people's lives as soon as they start to go off and interact with the adult world there's less of a communal sense to it i think if we want to target the young population and trying to improve voter turnout um we need to do that at a time where um they're all in the same place and um at similar stages in their lives so that schools and those institutions that were most of us a part of can support that you're over halfway through your term now how is it living up to your expectations? I think I've got bolder as I've gone through. It surpassed my expectations. When I came into the role, I thought it would mainly consist of going to community events, talking on behalf of young people, which I do a lot of and is massively important in terms of um, building our identity and keeping the young community visible in the city. But um, I think my confidence in terms of the campaigns I can lead and what I can push to achieve and the tangible change um, has definitely grown throughout. Um, Things like access to funding and opportunities to apply to or um, the people's inboxes that I can get a response from, all of that just develops over time. Um, So it's completely surpassed my expectations and I would really hope that I'm delivering on some of the promises that I've made back at um, the election. So in terms of sexual harassment, Yesterday, at the point of recording this, I had um, we had a big conference where um, several schools in the city who were involved in a peer research project where a student in that school was paid and trained to run focus groups in the student body to find out about um, how sexual harassment impacts the students and what the students think school policy should do to improve it in a way that's super nuanced and tailored to each school. That project has been running at the point of recording since February Um, And we got all of those schools together yesterday and had a big celebration of it, talked about the next steps in terms of addressing sexual harassment in Peterborough schools. And I think the peer researchers who were part of the project spoke for themselves in that it is um, they do hope that it will have a tangible impact when they see those recommendations come into place. Um, the promises I made around eating disorders, I'm still in the process of developing some new curriculum resources to be taught um, in schools from September that um, better answer questions young people have about eating disorders and um, follow trajectories that professionals and activists and artists and all kinds of people involved in the worlds of eating disorders think young people need to be considering and learning about. I think in terms of those original policies I would like to think I'm delivering on them and I'd like to think that I've been a bit more ambitious in my um, ideas for 2023 and moving forward. How big a problem is sexual harassment of girls within schools particularly within Peterborough or, or wider? The fact that that was at the top of my manifesto when I ran Um, And 25% of young um, people, 11 to 18 year olds in Peterborough schools voted in that election. That to me is a mandate. And that to me shows that this is a massive issue for young people. 
obviously nationally it gained a much bigger profile with the rise of everyone's invited and things like that a couple of years ago 2021 um sexual harassment in schools hit the front pages of the newspapers and um speaking to um people who to me are older people it's always funny when you're a youth mp or a young person because um everyone thinks that you're calling them old when you say older people but um some older community leaders and um decision makers when I've spoken to them about this issue I've said actually I can't recall whether it was as bad as this when I was growing up maybe it was maybe it was just different but sexual harassment is widespread in Peterborough schools any young person would tell you that any teacher would tell you that and what this project is seeking to do is not to gather data that says yes this happens because we know that from what students are saying what teachers are saying what we're trying to find out is why how where when and what do young people think schools can be doing to address it now you also stated in your manifesto that young people are always painted as victims what did you mean by that i think whenever youth voice opportunities arise there is this sense that um we need to focus on young people as a priority group because we're always marginalised and we're never included in discussions. And um, whilst in some ways we are, we're dependent and still developing and um, we need this paternalistic approach to try and support us to engage in everyday life um, and in political life. And I think um, whilst in some cases that's true and we do need to be targeted as a priority group because we are excluded what we also need is um development and advocacy and mentorship and um opportunities to find our own solutions it's not just about consulting young people and um asking what we think about this and then brilliant thank you for your time we may or may not use that information my commitment in that manifesto um, and throughout my term so far has been to hold decision makers to account and um, invite them to use young people's opinions um, and use the leaders of our community consistently throughout decision making processes and evaluating with us and developing our skills and giving something back to our community as they go because the earlier we start building young leaders um, the more skills we're going to have by the time um, with the um, passage of time the more skills and the more experience we're going to have when we're older and when we're starting to take up more space in the adult world too which is weird to say because I was 16 when I wrote that and I'm apparently an adult now. You've spent some time working with Peterborough MP Paul Bristow, including down in Westminster. How did you find that as an experience? It was one of the most important experiences of my life. The highlights of it being I did get to go and watch um, PMQs from the gallery, which is absolutely outstanding. But um, one of the big things that came out from that experience was um, I went with the MP um, to see and for him to participate in a Westminster Hall debate about violence against women and girls and what they've done about that in Plymouth um, and we've taken some learning from that and um, as was mentioned at the Peterborough Domestic Abuse and Sexual Violence Conference that took place the other week um, we're looking in closer detail at um, violence against women and girls in Peterborough and how we can build around the work that the Domestic Abuse and Sexual Violence Partnership is already doing on a cultural level and how we can expand that. So it was such an incredible experience just to be in Westminster and so empowering and you see it in countless autobiographies, don't you? The, the, 
the impact that has on developing politicians just to be there and to feel like that's where they belong and this is where they're drawn to I definitely felt that it's all true and um, it led to some practical next steps as well so I'm so grateful for that experience. Do you have you found that Paul Bristow has taken you as an individual your role uh, your manifestos your ideas uh, seriously and look, looking to implement those down in Westminster? I have found that yes so um, he's been engaged with us in terms of our um, national campaign around universal free school meals that's still um, developing and we're continuing that conversation but um, I've he's been very receptive and um, engages with young people in the city regularly which is something I'd really like to see continue Um, and um, I'm sure the young people I've spoken to have agreed with me that um, just being present as an MP and developing the frequency and the ways in which he does that will have such a massive impact on young people's engagement in politics um, and their ability to form political opinions with a small PM with a big P and I've found quite generally that decision makers in the city have been um, brilliant at engaging with me. I'm sure some of that is down to the fact that I have a council email address, so it is slightly easier to get into people's inboxes when you have a title like Youth MP. And um, I can see why it's important to have someone like me or someone in a role like mine as a conduit to um, make sure that the right things are being escalated to decision makers and um, people in the political sphere. But I would like to see more done to engage with people on the ground as well who I who don't have the capacity to do this in the way that I do. So throughout my A-levels, I was spending upwards of 20 hours a week doing this role. Um, and it's way more than that now. And it's been like that since I started being a youth MP. And it's a massive commitment and I love it. But that is not for everybody, no matter how interested and engaged they might be. So um, in terms of the engagement of um, the MP and um, other important people in the city, I'd like to see more conversations around how they can engage with young people who um, aren't necessarily super involved in the world of Youth Voice, because it doesn't mean we don't care. Not all of us have the opportunity. Have you had any similar engagements with the city's other MP, Shaila Shvara? Yeah, so I'm from Orton and Woodston, um, so he is my MP and um, he's got a good relationship with my school, my former school now, Neen Park Academy, and we've had similar conversations around sexual harassment in schools and um, around um, the campaign for free school meals as well. Like I said, that is a national thing and um, it's just brilliant to have any form of interaction with MPs around that because we are looking to raise the profile of Universal Free School Meals and their campaign for that um, in UKYP as a whole. So yes, I have had um, interactions with him and I have found it helpful. Now we've seen in recent times accusations that politics in general and particularly around the council can be a toxic environment where bullying can be commonplace. Have you experienced any of that at all to date? Luckily, I haven't, personally. I've been following the stories and whilst not having personal experience to draw on, um, do you see the impact that that has on other young people who are following local politics? And it is frustrating to see um, with the conversation around uh, young people not feeling welcome in politics um, because... um, Either they're expected to have no experience or uh, not expected to have any relevant knowledge. 
all of that is only exacerbated by stories that it's a toxic environment to take up space in. And whilst the young people I work with on a professional level um, haven't been deterred, I think in terms of the image local politics has amongst those who aren't particularly engaged with it, those who don't know much about local councillors or um, important figures other than what colour they stand behind and um, their name, it definitely does have an impact and that is frustrating to see. As a resident, how do you view Peterborough as a city and as a place to live overall? I am absolutely in love with Peterborough. I am so attached to the city and yes, potentially studying somewhere else or working somewhere else is in my future. I'm a languages student. I can't do that in Peterborough at the moment, but um, I'm so attached to the city. And that's a recent development. If you'd have asked me that when I was 13, 14, I'd have said, oh, it's boring and it's the worst place to live in the country, as everybody does. But if you've asked me that since I started working with some of the organisations I've worked with on a community level... I'm so passionate about this place and I really want other young people to see that too. I think Peterborough struggles with its own identity and politics struggles to marry itself up with Peterborough's identity because um, the direction of local politics is often about the numbers and I think that it's important we link that into what Peterborough is in its cultural elements as well. Some of the best things about Peterborough, yes, some of it will be the numbers, but um, it's just how vibrant we are and um, to give an example that's important to me we are one of the spoken word capitals of the UK Um, I'm very arts involved and that's something I'm really proud of and the cultural diversity and um, just even things like Peterborough United (laughs) everything like that Peterborough is such a wonderful place and I want more young people to be proud of that and to see their futures here with things like the university and um, growing job opportunities. I really want more people to consider their future being here. And like I said earlier, even if their whole future isn't in Peterborough and they don't see themselves living out their adult lives here, at least have some kind of attachment or warm feelings towards it because it's not as common as I'd like it to be. I don't know many other young people who would say that they're in love with Peterborough. Do you think the city caters for the the needs and wants of young people as well as it could do? The youth voice sector is very strong in comparison to other areas of the country, but that doesn't reach everybody. In terms of stuff to do outside of education, when you kick out of school and have this long, expansive afternoon ahead of you, there isn't much to do on a social side of things. There's lots of stuff to get involved with, but there isn't really anywhere to just chill. There aren't safe spaces. And that's a big youth council campaign at the moment, um, the campaign for safe spaces and um, just a space for young people to live their lives and exist without feeling like they're contributing to something. So I think if there's anything the city could improve on in terms of its offer to young people, it's less about the opportunities that are here for us because there's a lot here and there's a lot being done. It's about places for us to just exist and be. The process of creating a new local plan for the city has begun. What would you like to see included for the future growth and development of the city from a youth perspective? I would like to see, um, so building on what I mentioned previously about safe spaces, I would love to see um, a plan or an investment in 
a safe space um whether that be a big complex that everybody can use or whether that be an alternative plan there are young people in the city who are very passionate about the idea of having a youth zone here who would be interesting to speak to um so something like that being considered or um alternatives being considered um and in terms of just strategy and trajectory I would want to see young people more at the centre of it because we are a very young city demographically. Um, I'd like the future of young people to be at the centre of any strategy or ethos behind the new direction of the city. I would like that to be tied to a cultural and identity-focused impression of what Peterborough is. So yes, there are specifics that I would ask for in terms of investments in youth services, but it is more broad than that or it is more umbrella than that I would like to see young people centered more um and the idea of if we are seeing this as a rebirth for Peterborough and we are seeing this as its exciting new future um I want that future to actually be exciting and to actually have an offer that young people can't refuse when they're making the important decision about whether they want to stay here Now, one story that has been raised this week was a campaign by sixth form students who had received funding for improved safety within Central Park, uh, with issues such as assaults, drug dealing and other antisocial behaviour being raised. As a young woman, do you feel safe when you're out and about in the city? Um, No, I'm going to say no. I... I'm aware of how to keep myself safe to the best of my ability within my own capacity, but I am out and about a lot. My main modes of transport are walking and using the bus system, and there are definitely um, things that can be done in terms of making those spaces feel more inhabitable. So in terms of that campaign in Central Park, I'm aware that... um, a large proportion of it was about lighting and presence of CCTV. Basic things like that can be improved upon. I've supported a group of young people over in the Woodston area to work with um, their former local councillor to um, improve lighting in a certain passageway that they had to use to get to school every day. So just making sure spaces are well lit, well inhabited by the right kind of presence. And I would really appreciate some more late night buses. That's quite a specific thing, but um, come in once an hour until midnight and then nothing in the early hours of the morning. I think for young people who um, are unlikely to drive, that is a massive issue. Even just getting home from work, if I finish my shift at half past eight, I've got to wait nearly an hour for another bus. Um, so public transport is a massive thing in terms of making the city safer for women and young people. One question that keeps being raised in recent times is whether the city is friendly and accessible to those with disabilities, uh, particularly with the closure of St George's Hydrotherapy Pool and the ending of the trial at Lyme Academy. Uh, When open, St George's can accommodate up to 145 school pupils per week. What impact do you think that its closure will have on young people within the cities with disabilities? It's already having an intense impact. Um, I've spoken to the community at St George's over throughout my term, massively supportive of um, the service they've provided and their plight to have something else put in place because there is no provision, there is no alternative for young people who are reliant on hydrotherapy. Um, I do work closely with um, communities of young people with special educational needs and disabilities in the city. I do um, stay up to date with the issues concerning them. And the closure of of St George's was 
very high on their radar and there are other issues in the city in terms of school places educational provision access in terms of getting around lots of work is done around preparing for adulthood and that identifies need as well um I think I see it as a massive responsibility for me and also for those who I work with to centre um, young people with special educational needs and disabilities more in decision making um, because we do have the infrastructure in place to have their needs and opinions heard but we're not acting on them and um, I see it as something I need to take up moving forward to um collate and collect those opinions and areas of need better in one place and then pressure the appropriate people to act on it. Uh, We had a question from Toby who says, two of my grandchildren were brought up in Peterborough, but having gone to university elsewhere, decided to stay and live in Leeds and Manchester, with both saying that they wouldn't return because there isn't enough for them here. Do you think that's a common view amongst young people? Absolutely. And it's funny you should say Leeds and Manchester because Manchester is my number one Newcastle choice and Leeds is my second. Um, So I can absolutely understand the attraction of places like that. And I think um, in terms of strategy for the city, we can be learning from um, the offers in big university cities like that as we strive to become one and um, develop our identity as a university city. Um, I think it's a very common view that there's nothing to return for if you've been somewhere else. And um, yes, lots of young people are choosing to stay here to continue their educational training post-18, but those who leave for other opportunities, um, there isn't much drawing them back if there isn't a trajectory within their chosen career path or field in the city. Obviously, it is very likely that they won't come back when they found that elsewhere. So um, I think that is going to come from whilst developing the industries and the areas that Peterborough is very proud of trying to see where the gaps are um given the example of myself languages student there isn't much here for me that's why I have to go otherwise I absolutely would stay here because Peterborough is awesome I think it's identifying where those gaps are and also young people want a social life um we want stuff to do beyond just our working offer And that is what is really lacking, especially things tailored for young people. We do have a vibrant culture here in the city, but it's either not directed at us and advertised to us or it doesn't exist. Do you think that the opening of ARU Peterborough is the starting point to reverse that trend? I think the more students we have in the city, the more is going to emerge to meet that demand. So I think it will be a key part of it. But um, obviously the market needs people to actually make it do its job um it's not quite as automatic as people would like to believe it is oh the demand will be here and the opportunities will come up no we do need um strategy and people to step forward to put in place a good offer for young people in the city so the university is um almost our guarantee that that is going to be used and it is worth our investment because there will be a growing um proportion of young people economically active young people in the city and we need to be actually giving them something back Uh, what are your immediate plans for the future i know you've got another what six months left of your term is it 
Yes, um, so I am in position until February 2024 and then after that I'm hoping to continue my involvement with Peterborough Youth Council and UK Youth Parliament in a different capacity so I will be hopefully still visible in terms of youth voice in the city but that is where my time as youth MP will end. I won't be able to run again because I will be almost 19. Ancient. Yeah, and somebody else should have the opportunity because I've learnt so much on this job and whoever comes into it next... I can guarantee it's going to be the opportunity of a lifetime for them and it will make them think differently about their career and um, their skills. Next time they write their CV, they won't be struggling to think of stuff to come up with because you learn so much so quickly. So in terms of my next steps, I'll finish that off in February and um, I'm involved with lots of different things in the city so I'm in no rush to disappear because I am very embedded in this community. (laughs) Um, But the general idea is I have a... Um, offer to study at Manchester um, to study Spanish and Arabic dependent on how results day goes in August Um, and then going from there keeping the options very open because I know I want to do something in politics local government journalism any of those spheres um, public facing and change orientated but other than that I have a very open mind. So in terms of political future, do you see local council first, MP second, PM third, or...? Potentially, that is one pathway it could take. I have been asked a couple of times whether I would consider um, being a local councillor, and it is definitely not off the table. But I would have to figure out what my political orientation is first, because I am vehemently non-partisan. Is that a in the near future, or post-university... Who's to say? I would say at this stage post-university, but life changes. Um, What I know is um, I am very committed to my non-partisan and apolitical role at this stage. I think it's so important in terms of youth politics and allowing us to be, as an already quite marginalised community, represented properly. We can't... um, It's really important that we have an apolitical outlet for our voices. Um, But what's to happen um, beyond my time as youth MP? Who's to say? So, I mean, could could you see yourself standing as an independent or do you think you need the backing of a party to be able to, you know, have the machine behind you, as it were? It's quite a theoretical discussion. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. Um, I think in Peterborough, um, to get commentatory, I think we are seeing um, a rise of um, the ability of independent councillors and their role in local politics. Um, but again, there are benefits to having a party behind you and having that community and that common line and that common stance um but then again there's nothing to stop independence triangulating and still continuing to communicate with those with the same goals so um in a very theoretical sense um yeah potential for it the general view of politicians generally at the moment is fairly low amongst the general public would that put you off putting yourself into that into that role I don't think so, no. Um, I think everything is led by example, so I would hope to change that narrative if I was in that position. I got told the other day when I was talking about appearing on this podcast, ah, you haven't done anything scandalous, and I thought, no, I haven't. That's actually pretty cool. Um, so I would hope to change that impression if um, by leading by example, but um, I, I don't know. I think speaking personally I do 
care about others' feedback and I do care deeply about how other people receive decisions I make or the stances I choose to take. So um, I don't know. That's partly why I'm keeping the options very open for the future because whilst I have learned to do the job I have now well, um, there are certain skills which are needed in politics. There is a certain robustness and resilience. I'm a resilient person, but I'm also very pragmatic and I do change my stance all the time on certain things when new information comes up and there may be space for that in politics as my career develops there may not we'll have to see the direction politics takes which will be very interesting to watch now as always we like to finish the podcast with some quick fire questions you finished your campaign video by stating that you quote won't just perform you'll interrogate How successful do you think you've been at that? Um, I think interrogating is a very harsh word and it has been received differently in different audiences. Some people don't respond very well when I use the word interrogate and it is a part of my vocabulary. I think I have done a good job at not just performing. I think I do hold people to account and I am very persistent and resilient when I think something is the right choice. But I think I have also developed and softened my approach and interrogate may not be the right word for it anymore. What would you say to anybody who was considering putting their names forward to stand in 2024? Absolutely go for it because the process will dishearten you if it's not the right choice. When you sit there and you create a video manifesto and you have to distill everything you stand for into, um, I think I got a minute to do it and I went over by about 10 seconds after literally flaying what I was trying to say to the bones so the process will cut you out if it's not the right option for you so give it a go. If you were in charge of the council what are the first three changes that you'd make? I would centre the disabled community in Peterborough more because it's a community that has been marginalised and let down a lot in recent local politics. I would involve young people more in the trajectory for making the city greener because I think that's something we can be very proud of in the direction we're taking as a city and I would like young people to be more at the centre of that and I would make sure that we had some heads around the table to discuss poverty and um, deprivation in the city because it is a massive part of our everyday and political lives Um, and I think It's always on the table, but never discussed as explicitly as it should be. So I would get heads around the table to do that. And finally, what's one place or business within the city that you think the people of Peterborough, whether they be young, old or anywhere in between, should visit? I would say get yourself to the theatre. I am very passionate about the Key Theatre and other theatres and arts organisations in the city and I know they're doing massive work on the inside to try and reflect Peterborough better in their programming so go down and um, tell them with your ticket purchasing what you're interested in what you want to see more of and help us build a cultural identity for Peterborough. Eva Woods thank you for joining me on the politics of Peterborough. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Eva for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter at Eva Woods MYP. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get each episode as soon as it's released. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Politics PBORO. Please let me know what you thought of the episode. 
If you have any suggestions as to who you'd like to hear on the show, or any questions you'd like me to put to our guests, you can email us at politics.peterborough@hotmail.com. This episode of The Politics of Peterborough was created, hosted, recorded, and edited by me. We'll see you next time.